0: Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on March fifth, two thousand twenty-two. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> we had a we had how should we put it an unscheduled hiatus. That's that's what happened um, when life and the, and the Lord throw you some curveballs, especially as uh, as Rich and his family had to learn with some some minor health issues that came up the last couple weeks. Sometimes you just go, okay, Lord. I get the message. We're taking a break. So that's where we've been the last couple weeks. Thank you for your patience with us. We are always so grateful to have you guys joining with us and and being a part of this program. Uh, Just as a reminder, we are part of the Christian Podcast Network. Always, always recommend you go check it out. You're always going to find something really informative, very biblical, and Community. (laughs) You know, I didn't choose the name. (laughs) That was Andrew's fault, okay? (laughs) but you are you are gonna find something very good in there always um, if you are if you want to keep abreast of what's going on with this uh, particular podcast of course check out our website slave to theking.com that has our contact us link it has uh, our social media pages it has a sign up to where you can get all the the newest latest podcast information the uh, articles when we occasionally write them and your the ways that you can support this program either through buying merchandise which are uh, our, our good friends over at doctrine and devotion or doctrine and life excuse me doctrine and life dot co provide or you can go through our patreon as well so all of that is there and that is going to be the fastest introduction I ever do with that because I'm usually not that good at that. Uh, <laughs> but we always recommend you go check those things out. Uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for continuing to be part of the Voice of Reason Radio family. Uh, you guys are amazing, the amount of interaction that you give us, the feedback that we get, the prayers especially, and uh, the the other things that you guys do. Uh, really looking forward to uh, being with you tonight because... Uh, Rich, I'm sorry. I won't be here next week. <laughs> I will be. I will be a little bit occupied. Uh, I'm going to be taking like a, a drink from a fire hose as I go down to my uh, second ever Shepherds Conference this upcoming week. And uh, if you've ever been or if you've ever listened to the the sermons, um, it literally is like taking a, a drink from a fire hose as you and some three to five thousand other men of God who go there for the specific purpose to be built up and in the word so that they can go back out and feed their flocks. Um, I got to do part of it three years ago and I get to go, to go do it again this week. Uh, so really, really looking forward to that. So that means um the un- unexpected hiatus of two weeks, although we did get a, a rerun in there, um, we'll now have another unexpected pause <laughs> as, as I, as I head down to California and, and hopefully can get back out of that communist nightmare uh, and get back up here the following week. <laughs> but uh, looking forward to that, Looking, I actually get to spend time with our good friend, Chris Huff. He and I are buddying up for a, pl- uh, staying at one of the local hotels down there and God willing, uh, we're actually going to have uh, maybe a special treat for you guys. When we get back, uh, he and I ha- have some ideas of putting, uh, putting something together. So, uh, God willing, we should be able to do that as well. But uh, yeah, br- rich brother, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a major, major blessing and a major uh, opportunity to just hear some wonderful men of God preach and teach and build up the, the, the godly men that have our God is sending there to, to get prepared, to get rested, to get fed so that they themselves can go back out into the trenches and do the hard work of preaching the Word of God. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. So um, thank you for your patience, folks. Thank you for that opportunity as well. Uh, Probably with gas prices and travel prices going up, that may be the last trip I take for a while. (laughs) So really appreciate your patience on that. Uh, So as I always ask you, brother, even though I know the answer, uh, how are you doing this week? (laughs)
1: Well, brother, as always, I'm better than I deserve. Amen. Although I'm not altogether here tonight, so <laughs> it, I probably will not come across as well as our listeners deserve because <laughs> I'm still re- somewhat recovering from what's been going on. And my tongue is doing its little dance more so than usual tonight. <laughs> and bear with me as I stumble through some very long words during, during this episode. Um, as everyone knows, I have some health issues, disability issues. Sadly, sometimes it does affect my speech. So please bear with us and forgive me if I butcher some names or some words tonight. But... um I just pray, Chris, that we don't have to start a GoFundMe to (laughs) mount a rescue mission to get you back out of California in case they start putting up a border wall (laughs) while you're there. Um, Well, I'm greatly if they did.
0: If you were able to do a GoFundMe, they'd shut it down anyway, so it won't matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm greatly looking forward to you being able to speak some words of faith into us when you return.
0: Well, I I've I always blessed to to be at something like this. Um, I will say that the first time that I got to go, and that was care of a good friend of ours, uh, Andrew Rappaport, who made, made it possible for me to get down there. And uh, when I went there before, there was something extremely humbling. And having gone to some different conferences and the, and, and having had the opportunity to go to G3 this last year, there is something very unique, I said this back the, uh, back a few years ago, and it, but there was something very, very unique about the Shepherds Conference that you just don't get anywhere else. And the best way I could explain it is, it's kind of like you almost can understand what it was like when Elijah looked up to God, kind of whining and hitting his knees and going, I'm the only one left. And God says, I have 7,000 if not bowed the knee to all." Well, when you walk onto that campus and some uh, three to 5,000 men who have specifically come there to be built up, strengthened, and equipped so that they can then go back and do the work of God, it's not a normal conference. This isn't... This isn't going there so you can hear your favorite celebrity preach. And I, I know there's going to be this. this stay, do yourself a, f- a favor, folks. During this week, ignore the naysayers on Twitter because they're going to be there. Um, I mean, I know there's one particular pastor of sorts that every time Shepherd's Conference come up or every time G three comes up. All he wants to do is sit there and, and is, is criticize and I, I, won't, I won't name his name um, because it's not that, that's not what's important there's just gonna oh look they're just fawning over the celebrities guess what yeah some of people go there because they want to fawn over their favorite celebrity pastor I uh, having gone there and having experienced it for myself and, and getting to go again this year, I can assure you there are a great many probably the vast majority of men who go to this conference are going there because they know they're going to be fed. They're going to be equipped. They're going to get a chance to, in a sense, rest from their duties, but yet still learn. And they're going to take that back, and they're going to equip their their bodies after having been built up themselves. It is a different experience altogether. And so getting to go there and getting to be part of this and... Uh, and, and I'm actually there's a couple of breakout sessions that I'm going because I'm on my church's safety ministry and they have some uh, breakout sessions that are devoted to something like that. And so I'm actually going to go there not only to be you know equipped from great teaching, but I'm actually going to be participating in something that will help me serve my church and, and bring back information for our safety ministry so that we can help, you know, take care of the people in our church and so it is so unique it is so different and despite the the naysayers the big Eva types the um, folks that want to tear down MacArthur because they're trying to make a name for themselves and he makes them look bad because he actually is faithful to the faith um, this is a unique and wonderful opportunity. And if you have never, if your pastors have never had an opportunity to do something like this, may I humbly suggest that you consider as a church trying to get them to come to one. Like, do the legwork of finding out the cost, the travel arrangements, etc., and get them there. You know, because I can assure you they will be blessed. So... Anyway, that's my spiel. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but, you know, it's it's, it's funny because we did promise people a part two, and I I, I mentioned Big Eva, and it we really do kind of need to kind of well, follow up from that from last week.
1: <laughs> well, before you get any farther, you just kind of blew past the joke I threw at you, but Uh-oh. that was fine because what you said was was really great. I don't think you picked up on the sarcasm I meant in my comment when I said about you speaking into us a word of faith, you know, I think it rattled in my brain, and then I got on my
0: soapbox and forgot. <laughs> I, I I think it just kind of bounced around in there, got lost, and then I just started doing my podcaster you know speech again. So, uh, sorry about that. Well, that's
1: fine. <laughs> I would have. I'm sure the listeners would have rather heard what you said rather us rather than us getting sidetracked on a joke i was sort of kind of making there but anyway um as you said it's been this is it's when what two weeks ago or three weeks ago the last time yeah we came together and recorded a show and like you said we had promised a part two tonight is sort of kind of a part two but as we go into this we will i want to kind of remind everyone of what has transpired in the short amount of time since the last time we actually came together and recorded. And I don't remember the date, but Russia invaded the Ukraine
0: <laughs>
1: in this time span, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, um, the news cycle has utterly completely changed. And so everything that we had talked about just a couple weeks ago is Everybody's like, "What? Huh? <laughs> there was another topic more than you know two weeks ago." So yeah, no, we have we've we've watched an entirely new set of circumstances develop, and uh, Rich, uh, I just, uh, okay, let's just briefly touch on this issue because that's a discussion for another time. Maybe that'll be another topic. Of course, by the time we get to that one, it'll be a whole another a uh, whole another news cycle, and people forgot this happened. Um, so so much involved with this that most of us don't know the full story. And, and the more that comes out, it's very clear. None of us know the full story. Um, Putin, the guy running Russia, the former Soviet union guy who would really like to see the Soviet union rise again. <laughs> uh, it, historians are going to have to figure out the full story behind this, but he basically sent, has sent troops in and is slowly been taking over kind of the eastern edge all the way down to the uh, to the sea. Uh, oh goodness, this is where my my brain goes dead for a second because I wasn't thinking. But he's he's taking over the entire eastern edge of of the Ukraine, and he's trying to get uh, you know what his whole plans are. I don't think anybody understands, but the entire world has gone. Uh, you know, you UK- can Ukraine crazy and has assumed that there's absolutely nothing wrong with Ukraine and Zelensky is like the, you know, the second coming of Jesus or something. And <laughs> we've watched, uh, we've watched big Eva lose. Their- I think if there's any reason to question why question any level of support for Zelensky in the Ukraine is watching big Eva fawn over this guy while they, uh, while they criticize anybody else who talks about biblical manhood.
1: Um, <laughs> it's just very bizarre but yes, it's, real quick. it's totally changed question mm-hmm. question real quick because you have kept up with all this more than I have the president of the Ukraine do you know anything about whether he proclaims to be a Christian or not
0: I don't I, I really don't I know he is a former actor I know that apparently he acted in a movie where he was supposedly the um a person pretending to be a history teacher that somehow becomes the, uh, uh, you know, becomes the president of Ukraine. And now he is the president of Ukraine and he is the individual that has been trying to draw the entire Western world into this war. um, Even making outlandish claims about how, Airports were taken over, but they weren't, and they took them back, but they didn't. And then that Russia was in fact shelling their uh, their nuclear facility, but it seems that they weren't full on shelling the actual facility, but the area around it, which is dangerous. Um, don't get me wrong; don't want that. Um, so there's there's some very odd uh, things about him that just it. it like I said, there's just so, so much information that I don't know, and I think most of us don't know. Um, I, I will say this much. I don't believe it was. it's a good thing at all for Putin to be taking military forces into another sovereign nation's land to take over areas. Um, it's very interesting that the first time this happened, it was not under Trump. It was uh, under that that other guy. Oh yeah, Obama. When um, Biden was, what was he? Oh yeah, he was vice president. Um, so now, now that he's doing it again, it's um. Uh, who, oh yeah, Biden's president now. Uh, so I think this is all very bad. What's going on? I think there is reason to be supportive of not wanting Russia to go, go in there. Uh, it's definitely drawn a lot of attention. It is. Utterly taken up the entire news cycle. And what's been interesting has been to watch the Christian response to this. Um, brother, the, the, the thing that I find absolutely bizarre is that, I mean, one of the things I think we've always tried to strive for on this program is trying to be at least as much as we can be objective. I mean, I'm not, that's not, you know, nobody's going to be 100% objective all of the time. But we've always tried to, you know, even when we disagree with a position, we've always tried to be fair to the other side and say, okay, we can understand where you're coming from, but we disagree with you. I'm watching Christian. Okay. Uh, well, go ahead. No, well,
1: finish your sentence because okay. I think it's actually leading into my question.
0: Okay. But the interesting thing has been the dividing lines that have come up. Sorry, Dr. White, not trying to steal material. material. Um, like he's listening. <laughs> The only time that he gets involved is when it uh, involves Elf. Um, anyway, so the dividing lines that have come up, if, if you try to argue or articulate for an objective position, uh, I've watched Christians lose their minds. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I just put a, you know, a short little thread out about it, and thankfully some of you understood my point and perspective, but there were people that came out of the woodwork who were just like, You know Putin's just evil, right? It's like, wait a minute, did you, did you even pay attention to what I said? And it's this this thing, and especially the overwhelming support from the big evangelical machine uh, for, for Zelensky and for the Ukraine. Excuse me, you, for Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. I, I remember being corrected on that. Um, for Ukraine. And again, I'm not saying that supporting them is a bad thing or, or being against Putin and, and being against Russia is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But brother, I the, the divisions that this is being, that is created, especially from a certain segment of the professing Christian church, it, going back to our previous episode that we did talk about, it's disturbing. It's really disturbing watching this kind of, uh, how this is going.
1: Well, I think it's disturbing the fact that within American evangelicalism today, the notion that being ecumenical, in one's views, there's absolutely nothing wrong with mm-hmm. embracing faiths and other religions. Just like, and you, you're online more than I am. Would you say the majority of Big Eva and American evangelicals consider Biden a Christian because he's a Catholic and because he's an American Catholic?
0: You know, that's funny. I I, I don't see them talk about it, at least from what i've seen what i but i what i do see is that the big evangelical machine tends to treat biden as if what he does falls within christian morality because he's nice now i would disagree well, with that and- but i i don't know that i've ever seen them say oh he's clearly a christian but i've seen them treat him as if as if he should be considered acting in a Christian manner in certain ways because they they don't they they accept that you know what he's doing is a good thing in this area a good thing well we should we should really be concerned about that area whereas under the previous president it was like it was like fangs and claws and how dare you even suggest that anything that this guy would did was Christian so I well, I, we- I won't say it's an overwhelming acceptance of him, but kind of like a, a token acknowledgement, almost as if, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And we, we saw it during the last election cycle where yeah. this big evil machine, they didn't act actually outright support Biden, but they sure went out of the way to put down Trump and yeah. paved the way for Biden to be elected. <laughs> um, and for any listener that's curious as to why the Roman Catholic church is not Christian Several of our brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. that do podcasts have gone into that extensively and laid out what the Catholics believe that are contrary to biblical Christianity. We're not going to get into that tonight. We will make some comparisons, but when it comes to the ecumenical nature of evangelicalism today, they'll look at someone like President Biden, who is a Roman Catholic, and he just posted last week for what was it, Ash Wednesday, where the a cardinal had sent him ashes and he had a picture online of the ashes on his forehead. And talking. And in one interview, he was talking about what he was giving up for Lent and all these type of things. But because Biden is an American and he's a Roman Catholic American, he, the biggest majority of people that are under that umbrella of American Evangelicalism would consider him a Christian.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Interestingly enough, Vladimir Putin himself is a professed Christian. He was raised in a home, his father was atheist, his mother was a member of the Russian Orthodox Church. Putin was baptized as a baby, has spoken at times about his faith and his walk to spirituality, that being the key word, um, and I'm not going to get into what the Russian Orthodox Church believes. You can look that on the, up online and read it yourself. But it, it, the simplest way to put it, it is not necessarily Catholic, but is pseudo-Catholic in some of its beliefs. But what I find the most disturbing thing of all, if you wanted to compare the Russian Orthodox Church to... The Roman Catholic Church and Roman Catholicism and, you know, all these other words and phrases in in describing these things, what I find the most disturbing, and I apologize, I'm trying to find my note because my (laughs) phone decided to blink on me just at the moment (laughs) I picked it up. All right. Putin's spiritual advisor, who has been known to travel with him, who advises Putin in spiritual matters, and I think at one time was a bishop or a priest, within, no, he was a bishop within the Russian Orthodox Church, he has more faith in what he believes than what our Big Eva elites have themselves, because he has stated himself, and like I said, this is coming from Putin's spiritual advisor, who is a member of the Russian Orthodox Church, he himself has stated that Christians, I mean that Catholics are not true Christians, and that he will not be he's not willing to embrace any type of ecumenicalism with the Catholic Church because it goes against the teachings of the Bible. Now this is coming from Putin's spiritual advisor who just invaded Ukraine. And yet these big evil elites that we have that are supposedly the leaders of American evangelicalism that you see all over the the, late, the newest Christian book catalog or any of the quote-unquote faith-based teachings, their names are plastered all over the place. But yet, because of things that have occurred over the last 50, 60 years, they've openly embraced the practice of being ecumenical when it comes to Faith, especially the Roman Catholic Church. Have you noticed any of these observations, brother? Yeah, I mean, you're
0: not going to find a whole lot of people that they don't want to be seen as attacking someone else on on these issues. I mean, one of the reasons we were going to make this a part two was, was Tim Keller and a whole bunch of Big Eva fawning over Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert had been uh, doing his interview program and had a, if I remember correctly, she's a, a singer or actress, not somebody I was familiar with, but she got to be pretend that she was interviewing Colbert for a minute and asked him about his faith in relation to his comedy. Stephen Colbert probably gave one of the most vacuous statements that I've ever heard. It it wasn't um, it wasn't anything profound, and his his big punchline of it, so to speak, forgive the the pun because it wasn't intending intending it to be, um, was that death is not the end. Now there was nothing about what he said that had any biblical press any biblical principles behind it. There was nothing that articulated either the Catholic faith, because Stephen Colbert is a Catholic, uh, or the Christian faith. There was nothing about sin, redemption, salvation, forgiveness, repentance, the death on the cross. Nothing. Nothing was given. His big thing was that, well, if you know death is not the end, then that can help you not fear, or, you know, that can help you... Not be afraid of death, and therefore you can make better choices, so to speak. And that was really it. I mean, it was it was maybe three minutes of you know uh, of of talking, and there wasn't anything that was even remotely gospel related. And yet Tim Keller and everyone else just fawned over this. Um, it was uh yeah Tim Keller. I see uh, uh our friend um. Pastor Gabe Hughes over at Well What had actually had a tweet about that, that quote, saying that Tim Keller quotes him as "This is a brilliant exa- example of how to be a Christian in the public square." Jackie Hill Perry, br- brilliant response. Brilliant response. Dr. Anthony Bradley, a Protestant would not have been able to do that, and it was, it was, a Catholic who is a comedian who gave the literally the most vacuous explanation and and everybody applauded it and thought it was fantastic and and these are people who are supposed to be high profile evangelicals applauding a catholic who did nothing to present the christian faith and so to to what you're saying um it's they don't want they don't they they would rather embrace what Colbert did or somebody else like him and not call it out because number one Colbert is not presenting the gospel he's a Catholic he doesn't have the gospel he has you know the idea that Christ's death isn't doesn't isn't your propitiation it's not an imputation of His righteousness; it's an infusion of Christ's righteousness, which means you now are capable, to some extent, of obeying the law and therefore meriting somehow salvation if you're lucky. And and yet they embrace that, and say, "Oh, look! This is what Christians should do." So, to your, to, you know, to your point, here is a, you know, just a perfectly great example of what the. professing even intelligentsia of the Christian church, when it comes to an an ecumenical embracing, this is what we see. They don't want to criticize or they don't want to take on those tough responses.
1: Well, what's even worse, um, there's something else that happened since our last recording. What's even worse, and if you look, you can find not only where they're embracing, they're promoting Catholicism and we're talking about mainstream supposed reform Protestants Um, just I think it was last week the Gospel Coalition posted an article about a Catholic college in in Wyoming um, and Owen Strahan had commented on it in a tweet he said curious TGCPs it commends as Christian, Wyoming Catholic College and John Paul the Great Catholic University Does TGC think Catholic doctrine truly equips students in Christian faithfulness? Um, And one screenshot from that article was where they quoted as saying, What makes an education truly Christian is its integration of many fields of learning into a journey through history's most important questions, a journey whose end is knowledge of a communion with God. Um, So we're not talking about one or two individuals we're talking about a bulk number of these big evil leaders. And we could, at some point, maybe we need to do a show and actually name mm-hmm. who is considered the leaders of big Eva. But all of it goes back and, and has gotten into all types of strange, ungodly, unbiblical teachings such as intersectionality and social justice and all these other issues all stem back from the ecumenical influence into the protestant religion that was instigated by Catholics themselves um the ecumenical movement was a was a product of the 20th century going back to right before world war 1 and evolved over the over the decades since then moving up into the 60s and 70s where you had some very very high profile protestant christian pastors started to embrace and, and link arms with some of these organizations that grew out of that, such as the world council of faith and the world mm-hmm. council of churches um, so many others. And there were several different, um, not conferences, but seminar, not seminars, but um, gatherings of, of leaders from different religious organizations and groups. A um, couple of the really renowned and well-known names within American Protestantism that participated in some of that, that actually helped put some of this out there and promoted it. Um, uh, I might catch some flack for this, but you can do the research yourself. Two of the names was Billy Graham and, and was his name John Stott, S T O T T.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. When his name, John, John, Stott, Th- yeah. they openly embraced several of these councils and gatherings and started working with these other, religions and other denominations and faiths such as catholics trying to find and build upon common ground to bring about peace and unity among the world and among the different religions because you know their thinking is well we need to be more open and we need to be more accepting and more tolerant of these other teachings we need to find common ground Um, just like with islam they believe allah and and Allah is just a different name for the God that we believe, they believe it a little bit differently, but it's okay because they believe in the same God as we do. That's heresy. And what the Catholic Church teaches and believes is heresy, not according to what I think and believe, but according to what the Bible itself teaches, because they deny the foundation of the biblical gospel. They deny the five solas of the Reformation, which brought about the Protestant denomination itself and broke away from the Catholic Church to bring back the true gospel of Christ to the world. But there's a lot of things that have occurred especially since the 60s and 70s that a lot of people are not aware of. Teachings that came out of some of these conferences and some of these councils that were brought in to mainline Protestantism and to mainline Christianity and it didn't just bust in through the door saying here I am it slipped in slowly over Mm -hmm. time over the years Um, back in 1983 there was a book written by a man named Alan Race and he's at this point he's a retired Anglican priest and considered a theologian and he's the chairman of the World Congress of Faiths, which is entirely built on the premise of pluralistic or pluralism among interfaith Communities, meaning he embraces and supports and encourages ecumenical type practices and beliefs. Some of his books include My Journey as a Religious Pluralist, Interfaith Worship and Prayer, Interfaith Activism, Making Sense of Religious Pluralism. Um, one of his more renowned books among some circles that have propagated some of these ungodly and unbiblical practices was a book he wrote, Christians and Religious Pluralism. And if I remember right, that was published back in, like, 1983. And it made its way through some of the seminaries and some of the teachings that came out through some of the seminaries. Those teachings influenced some of these councils and that World Faith Council and some of these others. And not long after that, in the early 90s, there was a, there was a lady called Diane Eck, E.C.K., and if I understand this correctly, she's supposedly a member of the Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, she was a Harvard professor and director of the Pluralism Project while she was at Harvard. And not only did her research and her studies and her papers and her interest in other religions and her participation with some of these councils and the LGBT Communities, not only was she teaching that the idea of pluralism should be promoted and taught among the different faiths, and pluralism in this context is just a different word for ecumenical, but in her pluralism teachings, she was encouraging and promoting embracing not only religious differences in religious faiths and finding a common ground in the belief of of one God but she was promoting and encouraging beliefs in other areas of life when it came to, at that time the word had not even been really formed, but social justice and embracing the LGBT community. This was her back in 91, I think it was when her paper was published. So we're talking 1991, we're in 2022 and you can do the math on how far we fell since 1991, but these are some of the things that were being brought in to seminaries and being brought into American evangelicalism, some of the influence that has shaped and directed the focus to where we're at today, where you get some of these big evil leaders, and the former SBC president talking about God whispers about homosexuality, once they opened that door to these ecumenical practices and started bringing in these worldly religions and worldly ideologies and these worldly way of thinking, they started embracing and started saying, well, yeah, maybe we can work with these people. Maybe we can find some common ground. They became pseudo-antinomium in in their perception of God and his love and mercy while rejecting God's wrath and the truth and sufficiency of Scripture and completely abandon what Galatians 1 teaches us. Would you share that with us, brother?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to just so f- folks kind of understand, there's a reason that this kind of uh, we're wanting to have this type of a discussion because this is where we see things going. More and more bigger names are wanting to partner for and and with folks that we go, why on earth? Would you partner in this area? And social justice is just one of those areas. So to what you were saying, uh, uh, Galatians you know, 1 verses. Hey, 6. Go ahead.
1: Be- before you read that, there's one other thing I wanted to mention that mm-hmm. I overlooked. Um, that author, Alan Race, mm-hmm. that wrote those books I was speaking about, he also— was promoting this idea and wrote about it it's called the three point typology when mm-hmm. it comes to religion and they laid out three aspects of that what which were exclusivism which would these people today would call fundamentalist um, which basically exclusivism is just like it says the Bible is exclusive that you know you're either believing in God or you don't you believe in the Bible or you don't. And then they were promoting pluralism, which basically says, you know, we need to work together. We need to have open minds. We need to be willing to discuss all these other issues. And within that is also another area called inclusivism, Mm -hmm. which um, a gentleman, Carl Rayner, was a proponent of. And when you get to that aspect of three-point typology... You're also getting into intersectionality, which all of these things overlap at some point and fades, and it can be mind-numbing trying to separate all of these different aspects and these fancy words from one thing to another, but basically what it boils down to is Big Eva today that are openly embracing ecumenicalism, not all of them Well, let me rephrase that. Not everyone who's willing to be ecumenical in their views and be willing to open up a dialogue and talk with others of different faiths and Catholics, not all of them support intersectionality and social justice issues. Mm -hmm. But I am yet to find anyone that supports intersectionality and social justice issues that are not willing to be ecumenical Mm -hmm. in their theology. And that's the problem with evangelicals today when it comes to Big Eva, far too many of them are not only willing to be ecumenical in their practice in orthopraxy and orthodoxy, but they're also willing to partner with all these pluralistic inclusive natures of secular society where, like I said, you have J.D. Greer talking about we need to apologize to homosexuals mm-hmm. for the way that we've treated them for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, basically what he's saying we need to apologize for the Bible condemning their lifestyle as sinful. And all this aside, what does this boil down to? Well, we need to look at what the Bible actually teaches and I know that for the most part the core listener base of this show understand what we're discussing and believe it. Our hope is that you can take something from this discussion tonight and use it to explain it to someone else that may not completely understand. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what the subject is, we have to go back to the Bible, throw our opinions out the window, throw our preferences out the window, and go back to Scripture and ask, what does Scripture actually say? People will say, well, there's nothing wrong with embracing Catholics. They believe in the same Jesus. They believe this. They believe that. Well, the question should be, do they believe in the basic fundamental principles, the foundation of the biblical gospel? Do they actually believe what the Bible teaches or have they perverted and twisted it to suit their own agenda? Sadly, more times than not, the answer is going to be, they don't truly believe everything scripture teaches. One of the core foundational things that the Bible commands us is going to be what Chris is about to read.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's funny that, um, Exclusivism, you were talking about. They've even tried to go so far as to break down exclusivism into even more subcategories, where a couple of them were like, "Well, it's exclusive, but we can," like you were talking about. Maybe there's some common ground, or it's exclusive, where we see that Christianity sits on top, but you know, and says others are wrong. But you know, there's this workable area, and then there's what you and I would be considered, which is extremist. So I mean, it's 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 even getting that far. But Scripture is pretty clear about how we are to view, you know, uh, other professed faith systems, whether they're religious systems or secular humanistic or whatever. And you know, as you were saying in Galatians chapter one verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are are turning to another, or excuse me, to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to, To the one you've received, let him be accursed. For now, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Rich, I don't think you get anything more definitive, except for you know when Christ Himself says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man may come to the Father but by me." This idea that we can find, quote-unquote, common ground with some other faith system, some other belief system, there is no common ground. You have the worldview of man, and you have the worldview of God. And, and is Paul is very, very, very clear here. There is no other gospel. There is no other means of salvation. There is no other message, no belief system that will bring you in right relationship with Christ. And the sad truth about it is like, and we've seen this with social justice. We've seen this with ecumenical systems because they're trying to address political issues. It's always about something in the world that they're seeking to accomplish, they go well. This is really the important issue. And take the social justice one. You know, this is the important issue. There, are, there are disparities in society. We and for this to, you know, for for the gospel to really be going out, disparity has to be co- corrected. And it is a, it is a f- uh, failure to recognize what the gospel is. The gospel is God's. Uh, me, uh excuse me i almost used the wrong word god's means of deliverance <laughs> from our sins he you know he rescues us from our sins he rescues us from an eternity in hell through the propitiatory death of jesus christ and his raising from the grave through for repentance and faith in christ's completed work that's the gospel message everything that comes out of that is then God working in the life of the believer and conforming him to the image of Christ. And so as we go out and do good works, which would include you know, helping the poor, visiting the widow and the orphan, you know, caring for the afflicted, uh, you know, fighting for, for, for truth, warring against the systems of the world... It starts top down. It starts with the salvation of the soul because if you were to solve all the problems of the world, which you cannot do, but if you were to solve all the problems of the world, but everybody was going to hell, it wouldn't matter that you solved all the problems of the world because everybody's going to hell. You have to start with... The gospel, and that is why ecumen, ecumenism and partnering with false religions, and partnering with uh, systems that are contradictory to Scripture, and secular humanism, and and uh, cultural Marxism, partnering with all of that is doing exactly what Paul says here. You're turning to a quote-unquote different gospel. You're looking for something because hey, that was that was what the Galatians were doing. They were trying to achieve. Uh, you know, right standing with God by what they did through works. Go ahead, brother.
1: And the sad thing is, Big Eva and all of these men and women that are embracing, you know, Roman Catholic Church and all these other religions, even to the point of embracing Allah as the same God as what Christians worship. It all a lot of it goes back to this. 1982 book, Christians and Religious Pluralism. Alan Race defined pluralism as all religions being equally beneficial with no single religion dominating. Inclusivism attempts to straddle the poles of pluralism and exclusivism by agreeing with the latter that one religion, Christianity, has the most value. And notice that word, most value. Not the only value, but most value and agreeing with the former by stating that other religions still have significant value. While race's three categories have been criticized, amended, and refuted, most religious studies and interfaith scholars and students find the typologies useful as a starting point for conversations about the diversity of religions. That goes completely counter to what the Word of God says, as you just read, in Galatians one, and I'll hand it back to you in just a moment. I looked this up at Bible Hub, and in the commentaries on that verse, especially I think it's verse eight, um, the word "accursed." We need to dig down and really understand what Paul was saying when he used that word "accursed." Um, in the in some versions, the word "accursed", accursed is actually "anathema." And the word anathema is used to render the Hebrew, Hebrew word cherim, C-H-E-R-E-M, which is translated cursed or a cursed thing. Living things that were cherim were to be put to death. Inanimate objects that were cherem were to be destroyed. Thus, in Deuteronomy 13, directions are given as to what was to be done in the case of an Israelite city, which should have been which should have given itself to idolatry the the inhabitants and the cattle thereof were to be smitten with the edge of the sword so this is the language Paul is using about those who would bring in a different gospel or to those professing Christians who would adhere and listen and promote a different gospel it wasn't that he wasn't teaching and saying well All these different faiths have something in common. We need to sit down and and discuss the diversity and the commonality between each of us. He wasn't teaching the, the church in Galatians. Well, we need to go to the temple of Artemis and the temple of Zeus and the temple of Aphrodite and sit down and talk with these priests and priestesses and see what we've got in common and have a dialogue about what we can do to build upon that commonality. No, he boldly stood on the word of God and said, bring no other gospel. Be a mm-hmm. curse. Be cast mm-hmm. out. Be done away with. And he went on later to say that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. That is not only does not only apply to marriage. That implies to any type of spiritual endeavor. And I'm sorry, as a pastor, as a denomination, as leaders of supposed leaders within American evangelicalism, you're telling people to embrace all these other worldly religions. These other gospels, you're telling them to embrace them, find common grounds with them. You are anathema. You are to be accursed. You are to be cast out. You will be held accountable before God for not only what you believe, but for what you teach and for the sins you have led others into and for the omission of being faithful to the word of God. Mm-hmm. And you need to take notice because it's not my opinion. And it's not Chris's opinion. You need to be worried about. You need to be worried about what God is says to you on that day of judgment when you stand before him and give an account for all these people you have blindly led into sin Amen Amen
0: I think that's the thing that's frustrating about this what were you you going back to the issue of inclusivism trying to say okay, Christianity's right but there's something in there that we can work with, something that says um, you know maybe maybe they don't have the religion part right but they there are they they have frac you know or fragments is the word I'm looking for um they have little slivers of it and so we can work together in that regard um you know or or pluralism well you know we're we're all we're all just you know blindly trying to figure out this elephant called God and we're we're all describing different pieces. Why? Why what is the point of that? And usually that's the real answer to the question because they're not looking for the actual answer of how am I to be saved, rather they're looking at what can I accomplish in this world in this time. That is typically the the compromise that leads us. Now, I'll say on the flip side of this and, and, and this will catch us some grief from uh, some of our more conservative friends, but we can be guilty of this kind of pluralistic, inclusivistic thinking provided it it meshes with our politics, okay? I mean, go back to the days of the moral majority and the religious right. You know, and and today we still think that somehow through politics Christianity can be the dominant uh, I- ideology that governs our 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 nation. We will make those compromises because what are we trying to ultimately accomplish? We're trying to accomplish something here in the world. Now, just want to clear something up. That doesn't mean that we don't have a place uh, to try and work with injustices or oppressions or or uh, uh, inequities in this world I mean that is why James says that pure and undefiled religion is this is to visit widows and orphans in their and their affliction we are caught. and keep
1: oneself unstained right. from sin right that's the point that's the part that everyone leaves off amen
0: amen that,
1: that is that is as critical as the other two
0: absolutely absolutely didn't and I apologize if, I, if it seemed like i was leaving that out the point i'm making is that we do have work to do here and we've said it on this show before for example you did it a solo episode where i was talking about liberty is worth fighting for there's there, there are things as Christians we can do, but we do not do them at the expense of the gospel. And whether we are partnering with you know, um, secular humanists that happen, or, or LGBT or whatever, who happen to align with our conservative politics, and we've done that, or whether we are uh, big Eva personalities who say, hey... Anybody but Trump, because Trump may, you know hurts our witness. And let's partner with LGBT type uh, crowds, or let's partner with these other religious, uh, you know, Gnostic type t- people who you know we know you know they call themselves progressives, by the way. Um, let's partner in these areas because we think that's going to buy us some sort of favor with the world at large, and therefore promote Christianity as being a bit more acceptable. Either direction you go, this kind of inclusivity or pluralistic thinking is a compromise with the Word of God. The, the first and foremost thing we must be concerned about as Christians is the purity of the gospel. If my partnership with a, um, with a political entity compromises my gospel stance. We've got to ask the question to just how valuable that is. And I know there are people who are going to say hey, brother, Yeah, go ahead.
1: I just wanted to make a clarification. I misquoted that verse from James. It ends with and to keep oneself unstained, unstained from the world. And that's even more impactful than keep oneself unstained from sin because this is telling you to keep yourself from being influenced by the world and what the world teaches and what the world believes.
0: Yep. Amen. Amen. So, the point in all this is that when we partner with ungodly people, when we say that we can find common ground, when we embrace them... Now, I will say this, and and this is where... Some of the you know the the leftist trolls that keep showing up on my Twitter page. By the way, if you're if you come on my Twitter page and you demand answers of me, but you don't know me from Adam and you've never interacted with me, you don't own my time. So I'm going to tell you have a nice day. But a lot of leftist Twitter trolls will like to come up and say, well, what about James Lindsay? He's an atheist. Now, I absolutely agree with you. James Lindsay is an atheist, and there have been many Christians that have. Used his materials with regard to social justice and critical theory and all this stuff to kind of clarify what he what what's going on and they've they've actually been in conferences that were specific to that issue, uh, mind you. James Lindsay has been witnessed to, okay. James Lit- well, Whitney has had the gospel shared with him. Uh, J- uh, you know, um, Jordan Peterson. Has had the gospel shared with him. He, he's publicly talked about how he's uh, he, how Christianity is. It's it's having an impact on him. So the difference that I would argue in those scenarios is number one, nobody who has come alongside those individuals speaking to a specific issue has presented them as having the same uh, religious worth. Or having the same uh, that 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 they're they have common ground, but they are addressing specific issues, and the people talking to them are saying, "By the way, I actually know somebody, uh, Anthony Silvestro, who actually witnessed to James L- Lindsay. Uh, he, you know, he's from uh, Striving for Eternity, uh, and in a conversation with him, he was that was one of the things he was telling me about. That he actually was sharing the gospel with the guy, so." There's a big difference in embracing this um, a religious system as having the same worth or value and that there's a common ground that we can work toward. and then somehow they're, they're kind of groping along the same path we are versus saying, we are massively different on these issues. You know this guy is an atheist, he rejects God. The reason we cite him and the reason we are having him here on this issue is he is correct on this uh, breakdown of this, uh, you know, um, socio-political issue versus the progressivist mindset uh, or the Big Eva mindset of treating a Catholic who has no gospel as if, Wow, we need to take an example of this from this person who did not present a gospel, who did not present uh, anything that was substantive. Oh, this is how a Christian should speak to the world and act as if that individual has something that's of equal value to the Christian faith. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to get at here, Rich, is that when you partner in that way, and we are watching this more and more and more as the big evangelical machine. Accepts people into the fold that are progressivists, who are critical race theorists, who are uh, you know LGBTQIA. I'm losing track of the letters. It, somebody somebody posted another one the other day. It's it's gotten too long to keep track of. Um, and 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 then saying these are people we have to welcome in. That's the problem. Is is, is we are embr- They are being embraced and partnered with as if. These are individuals who add something of worth to the Christian gospel and, and its practice. And that's where I think that's a problem, which is it goes back to what you were talking about with regard to, uh, um, you know, Mr. Ray, uh, I forget his first name, Race is the, the guy's name. Um, he is, you know, he, you know, they're trying to look at Christianity at the bottom level in the worldly level, and and it's outworking there and saying that's what we need to be concerned with rather than the top, the big issue, Alan Race, that's the guy's name, now I see it, uh, As where the gospel and the word of God defines Christianity, and it is the means of salvation, and then from that, through, you know, through the work that is being done by the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, the outworking of the gospel in a Christian's life. We cannot partner with people who don't have that and treat them as if, though, their religious systems, and secular humanism is a religious system, as if it has equal weight and values. That's, does that make sense? Is presenting this in a way to make sense?
1: absolutely, brother, and I know we're running short on time, but before we close, I'd like for you to briefly go through what are the foundations of the biblical gospel. But before that, I'd like to share this. This It's a short writing by J.C. Rowell, and the title of it is Be on Guard Against False Doctrine. And keep in mind, J.C. Rowell lived prior to the year 1900. This is the mid-1900s. And the more of his material I read, the more I see that what he battled against his day and age is even more so prevalent today. And that author Alan Race that you were talking about, um, that information in that 1982 book, 1982, we're talking what, 40 years ago. So all this didn't just come busting through the church doors recently. It's just slowly infiltrated mm-hmm. in time by time by time. And that statement You'll understand from Doctor Ryle here. Let and, us and, be on guard against. And, and Rich I'm just sorry. just
0: a, you said uh, he lived before 1900, and then you said in the 1900s he lived from 1816 to oh. 1900. So, just in case anybody went, huh? Uh,
1: <laughs> I meant 19th century. Thank yeah. you for catching that. <laughs> no problem. Go um, ahead. But JC Ryle JC Ryle wrote, "Let us be on guard against false doctrine. Unsound faith will never be the mother." of really sound practice, and in these latter days departures from the faith abound. See then that your loins be guarded about with truth, and be very jealous of receiving anything which cannot be proved by the Bible. Do not think for a moment that false doctrine will meet you face-to-face saying, I am false doctrine, and I want to come into your heart. Satan does not go to work in that way. He dresses up false doctrine like Jezebel. He paints her face and attires her hair and tries to make her like truth. Do not think that those who preach error will never preach anything that is true. Error would do little harm if that was the case. No, error will come before you mingled with much that is sound and scriptural. And is that not exactly what we see taking place mm-hmm. with the ecumenical movement among American evangelicalism and the big evil leaders today? They bring truth mixed with error. And that is the problem because most people are so biblically illiterate they wouldn't know truth from error if it jumped up and slapped them right off the page of a book.
0: Amen. Amen. You know, it's, it's funny because you, we're talking about this this partnering with and 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 this idea of well this this message even though it's contradictory to scripture we're going to present it as though it has worth and value and can be meshed in like oh I don't know an analytical tool it, it, in fact right now this is we i just watched this happen over the last couple of days um everybody that listens to this program for the most part knows who vodi balcom is Vody Balcom is a black oh, man, huh?
1: Nothing. I was just—I was thinking about stuff I read today. Okay. I said, "Oh me."
0: Oh yeah. So he—he's a black man. He is a very intelligent, very well-read, very astute, and very biblically sound preacher. He is now the dean of a uh, a Christian college in Zambia, Africa. Okay. Vody Balcom for years has been preaching about this coming, what we are now in the midst of, this storm of social justice nonsense in the church. And he saw it coming many, many years ago and was lambasted time and again for it as he's preached against it. When he wrote the book Fault Lines, that man was excoriated on every level. They even, you know, because Ed Linton was proven to be a plagiarist, they wanted to use the plagiarism angle and come after him on on his book. That didn't really take him down. So he's been doing his work in Zambia. He occasionally comes here and preaches at uh, various conferences. Well, I don't know how other than Somebody made a joke, and the liberals within the SBC lost their ever-loving minds. Somebody made a joke, I think, about hey, you know, uh, let's have uh, Vody Balcom run for SBC president. They took it serious. I keep telling you guys, you need to quit using satire with the liberals. They lose their minds. They think they think it is a real challenge. <laughs> um, I'm serious. We need to stop doing that. Satire is is lost on them. They think it's real, and then they go for it. But anyway, so they've lost their ever-loving minds. And you've got people today who are now trying to cancel Votie all over again. Right amongst those is the VeggieTales man himself, Phil Vischer, who's gone completely woke. The man could not handle the kiddie department of Big Eva and and lost his VeggieTales brand because he just completely train wrecked it. So now he's trying to now he's trying to become a name in the woke industry, and he's got a little thread out there. You can go find it about how Vodie is the wrong kind of black man. Vodie is does not represent you know the majority of African Americans in the church. Why? Because Vodie Balcom doesn't preach wokeism. Vodie Balcom preaches the gospel. What is Phil Vischer doing? Phil Vischer is embracing an, a, a, a false doctrine under the woke mantra and calling those individuals who claim to speak for the black people within black people within the church, excuse me and saying that's the persons you have to listen to. but here's here's vodi preaching the gospel, oh, no, no. Wrong kind of black guy. He has a white voice. That's the attitude. And now, today, my word, um, I'm not going to read the quote because I don't want to get into the issue of, uh, of that. But apparently there are people now trying to take a quote that apparently was part of a larger sermon. Okay, yeah, Context always makes a point, right? So they're trying to say, the Vodi Balkum is this terrible person because he made reference to how um, men who are leaving their wives and chasing after all these younger women, hey, you know there there was something God provided you in this family He provided you your your wife and your daughter and that's this is what's supposed to you're supposed to have and and it's it's a broader context but because he says, well th- that's why he has given you a daughter they've tried to make it sexual and now they want to cancel him that way. why? Why are they doing that? Because of the embracing of a false doctrine and the the partnering with a false religious system. And so we're watching that happen right now. A man who is a dedicated preacher of the gospel they are trying to destroy because they would rather not have someone who preaches the truth standing up proclaiming the truth because that damages the credibility of the partnership with false doctrine and false teachers and that's going on right now you can go online and see it actually happening in real time it's terrifying so the idea that you know when we partner in these ways when big evangelical names and the system you know the the machines that are built around that are embracing these political connections embracing these uh religious entities and saying we need to find common ground and this is a gospel issue and 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 we are we're if we don't deal with this in their way in the way the world wants it done we damage our gospel witness and and we won't be acceptable this is this is what you know Paul is writing against when he says you're that you're anathema you know we're talking about the foundational beliefs of the gospel. What is the gospel? I mean, the gospel is this God is God, and we are not. He is perfect, he is righteous, he is holy. In him dwells no darkness, and in him dwells no sin. He is the very definition of goodness. And so anything that is contrary to him is sinful. And so we as his you know these this created people that he made who have are in sin because of our spiritual forefather Adam who fell in the garden and tainted all of humanity with sin. We are born in sin. We are slave to sin. And how do we know that? Because we practice sin. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we try to uh, you know, proclaim our own self-righteousness. We you know, desire things that do not belong to us. We lust, we lie, we hate, we covet. All of these things. They're just a revelation of who we are. Everything that God is, his entire character, we are not. And we rebel against it constantly. And we know we do because we're convicted by it. When you tell, when you lie about something, or you take something that doesn't belong to you, you show up late for work and you claim that you know you were on time. There's that pit in your stomach. Of course, if you've done it so many times, you just don't care anymore because your conscience is seared. But you feel that that conflict because God pour, wrote His law on your heart. Well, what what is the purpose of that? Why why should I be worried about how I act if if it's contrary to God? Because he's telling you something through it. He's revealed his goodness, his righteousness, and guess what? Every time you cry out for justice because something bad happened, you believe in something that is higher and bigger and better than you. And it is God's law written on your heart that justice must be applied to the sinful heart. And that's why you, most of us fear death. Why does Steve O'Cobert Colbert even bring up being afraid of death? Because we know something's going to happen. We know we're going to be held accountable. We know who God is because we have creation, we have conscience. But it is through his revealed word that he is poured out through the Holy Spirit to men that he appointed to write the scriptures to reveal who he is to us, to reveal his word That we might know through his promises there's a means of salvation. We know the very nature of who we are in comparison to him. And so when we stand before God and we're held accountable for everything we've done, this perfect, righteous, holy, eternal God... Everything we've ever said and done, those books are going to be open and we're going to be exposed for what we are. And that justice that you declare you want held on others, that same justice will be held upon you. That's what's going to happen when you stand before God, unless through His revealed words you learn and you repent of your sin and you trust in the one He sent the one who paid the penalty for sin on the cross, that's Jesus Christ, God in flesh, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. These are are core doctrines of the faith. You can't reject it. You can't deny it. You can't say, well, somebody grasps at this, they'll get it. No, you have to understand and know this because there's only one means, that's Christ himself who took the sin uh, the wrath of god for sin upon himself at the cross when christ came to this earth and took on human flesh he lived as a man he, he took on human he, he took on a, a human nature he lived as a man without sin for 30 plus years lived without sin in neither thought word or deed what we couldn't handle for 5 seconds he did for over 30 years resisted temptation resisted sin And he lived perfectly. Why? So he could be your representative. See, you can't stand before God because you're going to be judged. He can stand before God because he is God. He's the son of God. And he's perfect. And he's righteous and he's holy. And yet, he took sin upon himself. Became sin on our behalf. Took that righteous wrath of God upon himself, though he did not deserve it. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Died upon the cross. Put himself there, by the way. Read the, the gospel accounts. Again and again, he had, there were, you know, there were times when those who hated him wanted to kill him and they couldn't touch him because it wasn't yet his time. He laid down his own life. He was sinless. He was perfect. The very man who decreed, put him on the cross, Pilate said, I can find no fault in him. He was without sin and yet willingly died upon the cross to willingly take the wrath of God so that the penalty for sin could be paid. This isn't about making one another feel comfortable in the life that we live. This isn't about fixing injustices that we perceive may or may not have happened. This is about you and your standing before God. He put himself upon the cross. He was beaten bloodied, and the, the the wrath of God poured out upon him. This isn't about a demonstration of love. This is love poured out for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was put into the grave. Three days later, he rose again. How? By the power of God, by the power of the Spirit, by his own power, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, something we could never do of our own accord. Why? Why did he do that? So that life eternal could be made available to us. See, it's not just enough that he died in your place. If he died and stayed dead, what good does it do? He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, making a way for eternal life. And then we are commanded by God himself, repent, turn from sin, trust in Christ. Why? Because he died in your place. There is not a single message, not a single belief system, not a single religious system, not a secular humanistic system that can ever cover your sins. The idea that we can partner with false religious systems so that we can accomplish earthly things pales in comparison to this. Christ didn't die because he was a rebel and the the system hated him. Christ didn't die so he could show you just how how nice he was and how much demonstrational love he had for you. Christ died because that's what you deserve. And he did it for you. We all love the, the, the war movie where the man dies on the grenade to save his friends. He dies for his friends. This is even greater than that. Because Christ died to to make a way of salvation. To save you from the wrath of God himself. And he did it willingly. There is no message, no system, no overcoming earthly oppression that can ever surpass that. How can I know this? Because there are people around the world today who will... Risk imprisonment, torture, and death for this message. And we've got people mad that Christians don't want to fight enough for inequality. Tell that to the person in a Chinese prison or a North Korean labor camp or who was flailed alive in the Middle East. Because that's what they risked for. Risked their lives for, for that gospel message. We are a spoiled people in this nation and in the Western world where we think the gospel is about making life more comfortable here and let's let's try to buy some sort of you know, some sort of good credit with the world if we can just partner, come alongside, find common ground, let's sound more polite. This is a hard message. When Christ preached this, people left. And all that were left were his disciples. Those, those 12 men. And one of them, one of them, was going to have him killed. Jesus said, do you want to leave too? And what was it Peter said? Where would we go? You're, you have the words of eternal life. People left, fled Christ, because he preached this message. Brother, I cannot imagine anything more offensive to God than highfalutin, high mucky mucks who think they know how to present the gospel better than Jesus did, and we just got to schmooze it a little bit and and partner with people who have no gospel. All right, I'm off. I agree
1: with you completely. (laughs) Off my <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I agree with you completely, but the problem is, there are many that adhere to a false gospel that would actually agree with most of what you said, mm-hmm. and I want to share this, I know we're out, out of time, but I'll be brief, and if listeners want, we can dive into some of these issues deeper on a later episode, but I've i have done, you know, reading and... um gone through several books and, and writings, but different authors, solid biblical authors, and the seems to be pretty known and agreed upon that there are certain foundations of the biblical gospel, of biblical Christianity, that cannot be compromised, and if you compromise on any one of these issues, you're actually compromising the Word of God, one of them being the nature of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal. Um, Some religions teach that Jesus Christ was a created being. Um, Some believe that all three are God, but only appear in certain times and certain places as only one and not all three. I I think that's oneness, Pentecostalism, Mm -hmm. but the, the Trinity is a primary foundation. And let me just add, I understand that someone new to the Christian faith or a babe in Christ may not completely understand all of these foundational issues. But as a pastor, as a denomination, as leaders within American evangelicalism, they should be known, understood, studied, and taught, and adhered to without any shame whatsoever. But besides the Trinity, Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. The death of Christ was the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners and that Jesus Christ did rise again. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this next one is, I would say, pivotal in understanding even the base of any Bible, excuse me, of any gospel presentation. Salvation cannot be lost. Salvation cannot be earned. Once you're saved, you don't need works to ensure you keep your salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved, period. There's nothing added to that to merit the continuation of that standing before Christ. Once you're saved, you're saved. That's it. Now, there's a process of sanctification, and that's a discussion for another time because people confuse sanctification and justification, and they're two different things. But your salvation cannot be lost, and your salvation cannot be earned, and your salvation cannot be earned to be kept. The sixty-six 66- Books of the Bible are God's work. They are inspired, they are inerrant, and they are sufficient for living a godly life. That last part, sufficient for living a godly life, is the aspect when it comes to social justice and all these other areas that they're trying to bring in worldly philosophies to try to say, well, you must be doing this, you need to be doing that, we need to be fighting for this. Mm-hmm. You know, the list is endless. And we need to understand and and be rest assured that Jesus Christ is going to come again to judge sin and he will rule the world. You will stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account for everything you've done in thought, word, or deed. And only in Christ will you be found righteous in Christ. And this other one I've seen pop up sadly lately more than I have in the last 10 years. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And both are eternal. Once you die, the Bible says you die once and then comes the judgment. It doesn't say you die once comes the judgment, then you can earn your way back into heaven. That is not true. Annihilationism is ungodly. It's an unbiblical principle. Heaven and hell are real and they both are eternal. Period. You depart from any of these and you're departing from biblical foundations of Protestant Christianism and all these other religions and these faiths that we have discussed and touched on, at some of these aspects or some of these points or all of these points, they deny. So if you're embracing and partnering with a faith or religion or denomination that denies any of these truths, you are partnering with someone that is promoting a false gospel as laid out in Galatians 1. Do you agree, brother?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. If you profess Christ, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're going to want to know Christ as revealed in his word, and you're going to want to know and believe that which he has revealed about himself. And if you reject those things... If you reject the word of God, if you reject who Christ is, who God is. You know, Christ said if you you know, you know, if you don't uh, if you don't have the Father, you don't have me. You don't have him. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. It is important it's not that we're saved solo theologica, that we're totally have to have perfect theology. We're gonna grow in our understanding. It's even possible for a young person in the faith to really have some bad theology yet not be condemned. But a person, you know, talking about the things that you just discussed, those foundational uh, core beliefs, if you have been shown in Scripture, you have rejected what Scripture reveals, then you are rejecting the revelation of God himself. This, These things that, you know, to say that, nope, nope, I don't believe that, you can't make me believe that, my God wouldn't be that, my God doesn't, you know, then it's, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping an idol. So I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree, brother. Those are foundational. And again, it goes back to what we were saying. This partnership, this partnering, coming alongside, embracing, you know, holding up people as icons of uh, the, the faith or examples for us to be emulated, even though they have nothing to do with the faith. Brother, you it is, it is a dangerous path. And and again, we can do this on both sides. We're talking about the more obvious examples, but it can be done on both sides. You know, it is a dangerous place to depart the word of God and to embrace those who are not of, of the genuine faith as though they are. Okay? it, it You know, we, we can occasionally go, look, here's someone of the world that stumbled on something that's correct, kind of like Paul referring to uh, you know uh, the poets, and when he's talking to the people on Mars Hill, here's somebody who kind of stumbled on something that's actually accurate, but that's not the same as embracing and treating without any kind of qualification someone who is falsely professing a faith religious system, an ideology that is at war with God. It's a dangerous place to be and we need to, we need to get away from this. And I understand, like I said that I, I, I get where some people are like with you know I'll go back to the James Lindsay example. It, James Lindsay's smart guy. James Lindsay may have some good points and, and, and intellectual arguments against social justice and critical theory. James Lindsay is an atheist and we ought not embrace him as though he is anything more than an atheist who has stumbled on some truth. We got to be careful in those areas. Okay. We, we, you know, our gospel message is too important. If, if we lose the, the cultural war, the gospel message is not lost. We have to remember that. But when we say, well, the gospel needs to be meshed up with these other areas, so that we can achieve X, Y, Z worldly issue and and gain, uh, you know, g- gain a platform and a place at the table. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. So- I'd
1: like to add something. Good. A lot of these people on either side of the table, whether it's the most progressive liberal or the most hardcore conservative, and someone maybe even the most staunch conservative Christian, they will make the excuse, well, this is not a spiritual endeavor. This this activism on this political issue, this is not a spiritual endeavor. My question is, as a Christian, shouldn't everything you do be a spiritual endeavor? In everything you do, shouldn't you be proclaiming the Word of God? Shouldn't you be proclaiming the biblical way of salvation? Shouldn't you be living your life in a way that you're making Christ known through your words, actions, and deeds? Shouldn't everything in your life be centered around the Bible? Because we're not called to be Christians on Sunday and to be American citizens Monday through Friday. In Christ, we're to be for Christ in always all things, and at all times. So, as a true born-again believer in Christ, in my opinion, everything we do should be considered Mm -hmm. a spiritual endeavor. Because in all we do, we should be proclaiming the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the biblical way of salvation. And if you're not, why aren't you? Amen. Let me, ask the listeners a, let me ask the listeners a question. When Paul stood chained before King Agrippa in the book of Acts, and he stated, Agrippa asked him, In a short time, would you have me become a Christian? And Paul replied, except for these change, not only you, but for everyone here, I would like to see all of you become as I am. Now, I'm paraphrasing that, but let me ask you a question, listener. Can you honestly say with Paul that you would wish other people to be as you are? Would you want other people to emulate your walk in Christ? Does your walk in Christ emulate Christ himself? If it doesn't, you have some serious issues to deal with. You need to go before Christ in prayer and ask him to reveal the sin in your life. Ask you to grant the de- grant you the desire to live a life holy and pleasing to him. Ask you to live a life that honors and glorifies him and all that you say, do, and all the interactions that you take place in. And in closing, I would like to encourage each and every one of you, whatever you do, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day.
0: Amen. And I'll add one more question to what my brother Rich here said. Paul was willing to be in chains in order to present that gospel. How do I know that? Because he writes and says, it is known that the reason I'm here in custody is because of, uh, of my proclamation of the gospel. And all of Caesar's household had heard the gospel. But did Paul want to be imprisoned? No. Did Paul know he would be imprisoned? prison? Yes. Did Paul avoid going to Jerusalem knowing full well what was coming? I mean, everybody told him it was coming. He had already been told by God because, you know, uh, Ananias was told, I've already you know when he's he's sent to to pray for Paul and have the scales fall off his eyes um he said he tells Ananias I've already revealed to him all that he's going to endure for me if it meant that the republic was lost that our freedoms were lost would you preach the gospel anyway Paul was willing to are you or is partnering with that which is ungodly more important so that we can achieve an end it's really easy to point it out when it's the other uh, the other team that's doing it right what about us are we willing to are we willing to endure the chains that paul was willing to endure tough question much harder when it's on the on your own side right There's going to come a day when the bad the cultural battles will be lost. That's that's just going to happen. That's history. It, it just happens. The gospel does not change. Our our firm stance must be upon the gospel. And you're listening to somebody who doesn't do this nearly as well as he should. How I complain when traffic doesn't go my way. Or the leadership in my for my employment doesn't do things the way I think they should. So trust me. I don't exactly have this dialed in. Okay? When gas prices have gotten too high, <laughs> I complain. Um, but we need to ask ourselves that question. Are we willing to stand in chains so that we could say, apart from these chains, I would wish that you were just as me? Tough questions. We need to examine not only what Big Eva is doing. We need to examine not only what we see the other side of the, uh, the divide is doing. We need to examine our own walk and who we partner with and what compromises we make and how that impacts the gospel. It's that important. The purity of the gospel, the sufficiency of scripture, is paramount above all. And hopefully that's what we've been able to prick your conscience tonight and think, get you thinking about. So, all right. So as we let this go on and uh, we move on from this topic into uh, whatever our next episode will be, take that with you, think about it. And as Br- Brother Rich just said, be preaching the gospel to somebody, Please. Please pray for every single pastor, layperson, lay elder, uh, deacon, leader, uh, and and so forth that will be at the Shepherds Conference this week. Pray that they will be equipped with the Word of God, that they would stand firm as they go back to their churches, and uh, seek to serve the body of Christ. Pray that they would be... Rested, refreshed, equipped, and on fire to serve the Lord. And willing to stand firm in a time when compromise is the much easier path. We will have, hopefully, if I remember before (laughs) I leave on Tuesday, uh, we will try to have something uh, queued up to to drop next week. Although I think a lot of you will probably be watching the messages from... um, from Shepherd's Conference because you can do that by the way you can watch the live stream that's what I did um, two years ago last year they had to cancel I actually took time off and just watched the live streams at home uh, so you can do that you can watch those live streams I think if you're at work or whatnot, I think they live stream on Facebook I think is how it went last time and as long as the videos were still available on Facebook you can go back and re-watch them so I think that's another possibility I believe that's how it worked last time folks the gospel is truly 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 important. It is the most important thing that we have. It is the only answer. And if every cultural issue was lost and oppression was at every level and uh, we were there was inequities beyond imagination and all the things that we fight for. But you died and you stood with Jesus Christ for eternity, you are richer, you are great, more greatly blessed, and you will have joy eternal. That's how important it is. We dare not compromise it. Thank you for your time, folks, this week. We really appreciate it. We're always so glad to be with you. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. If you ever have comments, questions, concerns, even complaints, we're welcome to hear from you. You can find us on the social media pages. Like I said, go to slave to slavetotheking.com. You can find us there. You can reach out to us on that same website and uh, on the contact us link. And you can also email us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. we have been hearing from more of you lately. was very grateful to, uh, to see that, seeing that the, uh, this these topics have been impactful to you, and we are grateful to know that. Um, if you want to support us, again, all those links are there at slave to the king.com. God bless you guys. Good night. We will talk to you next time.